Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. Thank you for everyone who's joining us. I appreciate all of you regular listeners, and welcome to the new listeners out there. We are continuing to add more and more every day, so I just want to say thanks. I appreciate the listen. Today we're talking about the Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix, and hopefully everyone is doing well that's listening. I've got to say, I am definitely on the upswing. I've been joining the full-time job, and I've been super busy with that. It's a really great job. I switched a couple months ago, and I'm really happy I made the move. I absolutely love it. We've also been enjoying the summer spending time at all the Milwaukee festivals, Renaissance Fair, State Fair, Brewer Games, just spending time outside and grilling. It's just been wonderful. I'm really exhausted, (laughs) but it's been a lot of fun. I keep thinking I need to move out of Wisconsin somewhere where it's a little more mild because I do enjoy being outside so much, but I've been having so much fun in Wisconsin lately. It's kind of sad to think about moving out of Wisconsin. And since my ex and I share custody, it'll be a while, of course. But it's funny how summer really is such an important time for those of us in the Midwest. It definitely helps the mood a lot. I mean, I've got depression and anxiety anyways, but the seasonal depression is definitely a thing. And when you get that first beautiful day of spring, it's even more obvious that how bad that seasonal depression can be. I'm not sure how my daily walk with the dogs is going to be affected in the winter. I've got to make sure I've got some good boots so we can still get out because the dogs are definitely appreciating their morning walk. And it definitely gets me ready for the day too. And even if I try to sleep in, the dogs are whining at me to get up and go for a walk. When I let them out in the morning, The pug always stops by and sniffs the leashes that are hanging by the door, just obviously to make sure that I remember that I'm supposed to take them on a walk. (laughs) I've been listening to both podcasts and Scribed on my walks, which if you haven't checked out Scribed yet, do it. I absolutely love it. They don't sponsor me. They don't pay me. I'm just sharing it because I love Scribed. And also, if you use my link, you get two months free and I get a month free. It's a subscription service. I use it strictly for the audiobooks, but you can use it for ebooks as well. There's not always a lot of brand new stuff on there, but I'm finding plenty that I want to listen to. And I'm looking at it going like, okay, I've got 73 books on my list of downloads that I want to get to and listen to. <laughs> so you can check out my link in the show notes if you want to try Scribed. I'm really enjoying it. And today, of course, since we're talking about a suspense novel, we had to do a red wine. And since I'm still finishing up my original First Leaf subscription, I thought this Rancho Campo Malbec was perfect. So this Malbec is smoother than many of the Malbecs that I've had. I really love wine and I love Malbecs, but I was just out to eat and I had the house Malbec and it was terrible. I don't know if it was a bad bottle or if it was just bad. I have never sent a glass of wine back, but I did send this one back. I tried to kind of choke it down, but 
I, I couldn't, I kept sipping it and I'm like, Oh, that's so bad. And finally I was just like, I've got to send this back. <laughs> I didn't have anything else. Cause it was kind of towards the end of the meal. Cause I was trying so hard and I felt bad, but that one just wasn't for me. This Malbec on the other hand is much better. I had the 2019 it's from uh, Mendoza, Argentina. I almost said Arizona. I think it was the Mendoza. There was the Zona in there kind of. <laughs> Malbec seemed to have a kind of a bite for me and almost like a corky flavor, but this one is really smooth and really velvety. It's a 14.1% ABV and it's also low carb. I like that about a lot of the first leaf wines. Lots of them are low carb. Not that I'm doing the low carb lifestyle anymore. I did for a while. I just love bread too much, so I can't <laughs> I can't cut out the bread. But it also means there's less sugar in the wine, and that's something that a lot of popular wines are known to do, and especially in the United States, is to add sugar to enhance flavor. Especially in the United States, we get so much sugar and so many different things and so many processed things that we've developed like a taste for it. So people just keep adding more sugar. So we'll buy more things. First Leaf doesn't sponsor me either. And I don't have my subscription anymore, but I definitely want to start it up again at some point. First Leaf says that this Malbec has flavors of black plum, black cherry, and blackberry, which gives it this rich, lush, dark color. I could kind of taste a bit of like the plum and the blackberry. First Leaf says to pair it with veggies, empanadas, and fruit desserts. I would say because of that Malbec flavor, that kind of intense, rich flavor, I'd pair it with some like Korean style beef tacos or some lamb on the grill, something like that. And this is one of the bottles that I've had, and I will definitely drink it again. <laughs> On to the author, we are talking about Grady Hendrix today, and I wasn't familiar with Grady Hendrix, but I found the final girls at a used bookstore, and I thought I would check it out. He seems like a fun and quirky guy, definitely an author I need to add to my list of authors that I want to have a drink with. He lives in Manhattan, though, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make that happen. I was looking at his website, and he does some traveling, so maybe at some point, if he's traveling in the area. Hopefully I can catch up with him and get him on my drink list. Let's have a beer. But he definitely seems like somebody that would be fun to hang out with. He's written books like My Best Friend's Exorcism and The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slain Vampires. So I've seen his books, but I've never read any. And after this one, I'll definitely pick up more of his. I think I'm going to try next The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slain Vampires. He also has a short podcast called Super Scary Haunted Homeschool that looks like he put it out during the pandemic and it was probably a great way to distract yourself during the pandemic. Again, he just seems like this fun, kind of cool guy who would think of stuff like that. His website also has a great bio, bio, and for time purposes, I definitely shorten it up again, but check it out because his full bio is great. So this is from his website. Like Gravity or Ugly People, Grady Hendrix is hard to escape, especially here on his webpage website. <laughs> in this place, he is all up in your areas, and he even wrote the words that you are reading right now. When you are on his website, you can he can see you. He can see you right now. <laughs> 
which I thought was funny. Grady Hendrix writes fiction, also called lies, and he writes nonfiction, which people sometimes accidentally pay him for. He's author of Horror Store, the only novel about a haunted Scandinavian furniture store you'll ever need, which must be about like Ikea. (laughs) It has been translated into 14 languages and is being turned into a movie for the people who made quality films like 1917 and Black Swan. Foolishly, they are paying Grady to write it. He is busy inserting a whole lot of tutus into it right now. Refusing to stop trying to prove himself to his family, he also wrote Paperbacks from Hell, a history of the horror paperback boom in the 70s and 80s. It is so popular, it won a Stoker Award. And while you may not know what that is, trust me when I say it is a big, big deal that gets Grady 20% off all purchases at the Franklin Mint. (laughs) His next novel was We Sold Our Souls, a heavy metal tale on the Faust legend, which hit bookstores in 2018 and got selected for one of his best books of 2018 by Library Journal, the Chicago Public Library, and finally, his mom. (laughs) It's also one of Locus's recommended novels of 2018 and earned him an article in the Los Angeles Review of Books. It makes him sound like some kind of smart person or something. He's not. (laughs) One of his latest novels is the New York Times bestseller, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slain Vampires, which is being turned into a TV series by Amazon right now because they own everything. (laughs) Truth. (laughs) In a surprise twist, the book is actually about a Southern vampire getting clubbed to death with books by the band Slayer. Grady Hendrix used to be a journalist, which we've talked about a lot of authors being journalists, which means that he was completely irrelevant and could be killed and turned into food at any time. (laughs) He is one of the founders of the New York Asian Film Festival, but he's not responsible for the bad parts of it. Of course he's not. (laughs) He's also not Asian. Nope, he's not Asian. He is a white guy. (laughs) For years, he was a regular film critic for the New York Sun, but then it went out of business. He's written for Playboy Magazine, Slate, The Village Voice, The New York Post, Film Comment, and Variety. He has a hard time making up his mind. He is very, very beautiful, but if you ever meet him, please do not let this make you feel uncomfortable. He does not judge. (laughs) So, if I ever am able to meet him for a beer. I will try not to let his beauty make me uncomfortable, especially since I'm just a lowly podcaster who's not published any literature. But of course, I still hope to someday. Into the book. So I almost did not buy this book for two reasons. Number one, I am trying not to spend a lot of money since my financial situation has changed. And because I like to make sure I'm mixing things up and not reading too many suspense thrillers, or too many white male authors, which Hendrix is a white male author. But I'm really glad I did buy this book because I really liked it. The Final Girl Support Group is a book about a group of women who are considered considered final girls, meaning they were the last girl to survive a mass murder. It's a mostly made-up title and refers to final girls like a popular slasher or films like Scream and Halloween. It's kind of like what if those movies were based on real situations that happened in the in the world, which some of them actually kind of are based on um, situations that did happen. And I personally think of Jamie Lee Curtis as one of the most well-known final girls, though the original final girl was probably Lila Crane from Psycho, and that movie was 1960. If you haven't seen that one, go watch it. It's a good one. So the novel follows main character Lynette as one of the final girls who has been attending a support group with her fellow final girls for several decades. 
Hendrix uses plot devices like screenshots from Reddit, clips of articles, and parts of interviews to help tell the story. And normally I don't like those kinds of things. It just kind of seems like a cheap gimmick to me. But in this case, I really enjoyed it because I think it added to the story. And he used those things to kind of fill in gaps. So he wasn't just laying out the whole story. In the book, he was kind of adding to it. So it wasn't kind of just gimmicky. It didn't feel gimmicky to me. It felt like there was a purpose. Each of the final girls has a story. And you don't get all the details of the each story right away. So it's a page turner in a way that you want to understand what happened to each of them. So you can understand them and their story better. It's almost frustrating unraveling of inf- this information, especially in today's information age, where if they were real people, you could just Google them and get the gist just of what they were about. Hendrix adds some nice diversity without making it seem too obvious. He acknowledges the lack of diversity in slasher films while at the same time kind of making fun of it. There's definitely not diversity in slasher films. But Jordan Peele is doing great things with horror movies. If you haven't seen any of his movies, I highly, highly recommend them. I haven't seen Nope yet, If you, but it's because I don't really love the alien genre. I do love Jordan Peele, so I'm going to see it at some point just because it's him. But the alien genre is kind of not one of my favorite things. I do love what he did with Candyman and Get Out is one of my favorite films probably ever. (laughs) In the book, Hendrix calls out that one of his final um, girls, Adrian, is Black. She is one of the final girls who has used her status to make money, and she's made a lot of money. She also recognizes that Middle America doesn't always relate to her race, So all the movies based on her traumatic event have a blonde white girl playing her. It's both sad that that's the way things still are today, but I do like how Hendrix calls it out. Though I would have liked Adrian to be more of a central character to the story. All the final girls have a movie series based on their situation. Like I said earlier, Stab is one of them and obviously kind of a callback to Scream. Also, one of the murderers is named Bruce Volker, which immediately made me wonder if that was a shout out to Bruce Campbell, the actor from the Evil Dead franchise, because Hendrix definitely seems like an author that knows his genre. A rabbit hole I went down with in this book was about murderabilia. I knew there was a market for items that were like signed or created by murderers, serial killers, famous criminals, but I had no idea how big of a business it was. There are tons of websites that sell murderabilia. I did not link any of the sites in my show notes because it's not something that I personally support, but I was really surprised at how much there was out there and the cost of these items. While I'm interested in true crime, I think it's something that needs to be consumed in a healthy and in an ethical manner. While I know a lot of it isn't, I don't advocate for murderabilia and anything that the victims, the survivors, victims, families can't get behind. I did visit a torture museum once that had like old torture devices that were pretty interesting. What I didn't know is that they also had a murderabilia section. It wasn't a big section, but I do recall like crime scene photos that were hidden by like behind like small doors that you could lift up because if there were kids looking at all the other stuff, the kids wouldn't be able to just see them like hanging up on the walls. And I personally am not interested in seeing actual crime scene photos and like dead or mutilated bodies. So I did not look at those. 
there's actually sometimes when I listen to different podcasts, they'll talk about, oh, you can go see these pictures on our website or online. And I am not one of those people. I'm interested in what happens, but that's just not something that I care to see or care to look at. (laughs) They did have some artwork of John Wayne Gacy's. He's done a lot of clown art, which to me is just sickening and disturbing. They also had autographs from other killers and some other artwork. I just don't really recall who it was from and uh, what other the murderabilia was. But I was like kind of both fascinated and grossed out by it all. It wasn't something that I do support. So I wouldn't have paid money had I known that it was in there. And probably some of the money that you're paying to go see the rest of that other stuff goes to that murderabilia. Uh, But I had already paid and was already there. Of course, this made me all think of Zach Baggins, who I've mentioned before and I don't really care for. He's too much of that bro guy and his attitude just rubs me the wrong way. But again, maybe I'm just being too judgmental and maybe he's a perfectly great guy. I did say how I liked how he purchased the sunglasses that Paul Walker was wearing when he was killed and gave them back to the family. They were put up for sale and Zach Bagans bought them and gave them back to the family so nobody else could have them. And I thought that was a really nice thing that he did. So maybe he's not all that bad. (laughs) But Zach Bagans has his haunted museum in Las Vegas. So it's not really murderabilia and it's more focused on like haunted things. It's actually gotten really great reviews. And since it doesn't prey on people's trauma, I did include a link to that. And if I'm in Vegas sometime, I might want to even check that one out. Even though, like I said, he's not my favorite person in the world. It's gotten really good reviews. So there was this whole rabbit hole I went down looking at murderabilia online. And it's something that Hendrix uses as a plot point in the novel. Even the survivors of crimes have a little bit of fame, though I can't imagine wanting to keep that part of my life as a focus or even try to keep that feed that. To me, it seems like it would be reliving that trauma all over again. But I guess people do handle things in different ways too. So maybe selling some of that stuff or participating in something like that does help them manage their trauma. As Hendrix writes in the book, none of us has to be defined by the worst thing that happens to us. Trauma can definitely shape us and help make us who we are. But I don't want to think that the worst thing that's ever happened to me defines me. It's a part of who I am, sure, but it isn't all there is about me. That's something that comes up on the survivor side, but it also comes up on the perpetrator side too. I've talked a lot about how people aren't all good or all bad, and I don't believe that we should necessarily judge a person by the worst thing they've ever done. Now, that doesn't mean to say that they don't have to pay for the worst thing, but people aren't just the result of one action. People are responsible for their actions, and the worst thing that they've ever done may have repercussions far beyond what they ever expected. That's something I'm trying to teach my son, that you can do these things, but there are consequences for your actions. You have to deal with those consequences, even if you don't like them. And you may not always know the consequences of your actions, so you really have to think about what you do and how you handle yourself as a person. One of the characters says, for the monster, they aren't murdering people. They are murdering parts of themselves. I liked this quote, and I thought it was an explanation for the actions of some killers. It's definitely not true for all, though. I don't think we can easily fit all 
monsters into the same box, even if we do characterize them as monsters. Another character says, did it make you feel superior giving them a diagnosis? And this rang true with me because I think that is done a lot and insightful of Hendrix to add this into the novel. Human nature needs to explain things. So to this day, we're still trying to diagnose killers like Ted Bundy. As I said in the review of The Stranger Beside Me, I didn't know that we can, or I don't think that we can ever diagnose Bundy based on what we've learned about mental health since he died. I don't think we can diagnose someone without accurately having that knowledge and by continuing to talk with them. I don't think you can kind of retroactively diagnose him. It's easy to label people, and we do it all the time, but those labels are not always accurate. Getting a bit lighter, someone gives Lynette their Hotmail email address, and Lynette says she didn't know that anyone still had Hotmail, and I joke about that all the time because they still have my original Hotmail account, and I still use it because it doesn't have all the numbers and underscores, and it's easy So that made me laugh, and it also made me determined to keep that Hotmail account. It is an action-packed novel that definitely kept me turning the pages. There are cliches, but it's almost Hendrix writing them to make fun of the cliches of the slasher genre. The characters are imperfect, a little crazy, and also relatable. While we might not have the same level of trauma that some of these characters have had, there's enough trauma in life that we all experience that I think a lot of us can understand where these women are coming from in their actions. I think it's also important to recognize that everyone does handle trauma and grief differently. It's easy to judge people for how they react to things, but we don't know where they're at and they might handle things differently. I'd give it a four out of five. It wasn't great literature, but I thought it was a fun ride and it was well-written. Goodreads gives it a 3.57. Other reviewers said, I'm giving it 10 gazillion stars and getting out of here. <laughs> Hendrix struggles to revamp the tropes he chose chooses to write about into something that is truly worth reading, and his female characters are painfully shallow. I don't necessarily agree with that one. I think it's a lot of fun. Again, is it great literature? Is it the best literature? No, of course not. But it's a lot of fun. And I don't think his female characters are really shallow. I think that he's focused on a specific genre and focuses on how they are reacting to their situations based on their trauma and what they went through. Someone said it would be better as a movie. And I don't know if I agree with that. I think it would be an interesting movie. I'd probably watch it, but I don't know if it would be better as a movie. And someone else said, not plausible. You're right. It is definitely not plausible. This is one of those books that is not realistic. And a lot of fiction isn't. But for me, that is part of the fun of the final girls trope. Someone else said, fast paced, full of twists and turns. And I agree with that one. Media recommendations this week. Fallen by Karen Slaughter. I'm listening to it on Scribed. It's the first book of the Will Trent series, and while I don't love it as much as her book, Pretty Girls, it's still really good, and I'm really enjoying it. Though, speaking of Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter, (laughs) if you like thrillers, pick that one up too. 
I, that is one that I like still think about as a book that I loved and I need to read again. It's really graphic, but it's an incredible book and it really sticks with you. Also, Dark Side of the 90s on Hulu, especially if you were a child of the 90s. <laughs> it's a series and the first episode alone is about how trashy talk shows got. And I remember sitting on the couch watching Jerry Springer with my brother in the summers. And it was almost like a ritual for us. We always made sure to sit down at, I think it was like two o'clock or three o'clock and watch Jerry Springer. (laughs) And there are also episodes about Beanie Babies, the Viper Room, and the beginning of the internet. So that's a fun one to check out if you are a child in the 90s. You could find me on Instagram at don't read drunk. Email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com or check out my website, don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. There is no apostrophe in the don'ts in any of those. Once again, this is a hobby podcast. So if you are able to support, I always appreciate the support from listening. Or you can also do a one-time donation on PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. Or you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. That link is also in the show notes. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up, who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sun Up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. They also opened up a new coffee shop, Supernova, which is downtown Milwaukee, and they make the most amazing homemade donuts. So check them out. Next episode, we'll be talking about The Summer I Turned Pretty by Jenny Han. Bye and talk to you soon. 